Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, and today I have Keith McEwen on the show with me. And Keith is my bee mentor and a local to the Sunshine Coast. So I am so excited to have somebody local on the show and as well to talk all kinds of magic about bees as I just started this journey of beekeeping with Keith as my mentor. So I'm so grateful that you're here and Keith's family owns a farm stand in Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast. Let it be more than honey and they sell all kinds of beautiful products, honey, beeswax candles, and it's so, so beautiful. One of my most favorite parts of living here on the Sunshine Coast is how you can support so many local people and get your necessities from local farmers, beekeepers, people that have chickens, all that kind of magic. It's my favorite part of being here. And so you'll feel that deep passion for the land and for the bees from Keith in this episode for sure I loved it so much having this conversation and so please share with all your friends start to do little things that you can to help the bees out at this time and so the more that we learn and bring awareness the the greater everything on this planet that exists together can interweave and co-create and so please share like follow subscribe write a review it all helps so much to get these conversations out to a wider audience and if you feel called to support the podcast financially please consider joining the patreon portal check out the affiliate links in the bottom of the show notes wild holistic is my go-to pearl powder is one of my most favorite medicines it's so nourishing and helps with anti-aging and sleep and all kinds of all kinds of things it's full of minerals and so those links are all in the show notes and let's dive into the episode with keith all around the magic of the bees Hey, welcome Keith to the podcast. You're my first Sunshine Coast guest on the podcast. So I feel like we're going to have to talk a little bit about this magical place that we live on, um, but not too much because we don't want more tourists to come. We're like, we want to keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah, we don't want everybody to know. Um, so just for everybody listening, Keith is my new beekeeper and he's a local beekeeper here on the Sunshine Coast. So we're going to talk all about the bees and the magic that they offer. So to start, Keith, what has been the story that has brought you to beekeeping? Well, the, the what brought me to beekeeping is I've, since I was young, I always liked bugs and insects. I was always collecting them when I was young and everything like that. And I've always been interested in them. And then three or four years ago, I saw an article in the local paper and it said that they were looking for more beekeepers. Uh, and that's when I got a hold of Steve, who's in charge of the Sunshine Coast Bee Club. And I started chatting with him. Me and him became friends over it all. And I just started beekeeping. I just jumped right in and started doing it. Bought the first uh, couple nukes and bought the equipment. And yeah, it's been 
pretty fast ever since. <laughs> Full steam ahead with all yep. of it. Okay. Um, so was it specifically they were looking for more beekeepers on the Sunshine Coast or was it all around? Uh, the the way I read it is, yeah, they were looking for more on the coast. It seems like it's uh, a lot of uh, older population that into it and they're looking for more younger beekeepers. And uh, and then it seems like there's just not enough beekeepers in Canada generally, mm -hmm. like not people, not enough people doing it. It's just it's just not kind of like a dying sort of thing. Really? Why do you yeah. think that is? What comes to mind with maybe why it's dying maybe, off? Uh, the starting expense, maybe the there's a lot of people just kind of scared to jump in and do it. And uh, yeah, the starting expense was just is just a huge cost to get into it when you first start, and it's yeah. really intimidating. <laughs> it's intimidating it can be really intimidating your first couple of times doing it especially by yourself <laughs> the bees I held yeah, the, the frames the other day and I was like holy shit <laughs> <Start jumping. laughs> yeah you just kind of have to jump in and go for it what are yeah. kind of the startup car costs for beekeeping uh your your first colony is going to cost you 250 to 300 bucks and that's I recommend people get a nuke when they're first starting uh that's four frames uh, usually about eight to 10,000 bees, a frame of eggs, frame of brood with a queen and two frames of food. And then your boxes are going to cost you brand new. If you bought them brand new, 200 to $300. And then all your other gear, another $200 or so to get going. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. you know, it was awesome about to get, to get going on it and, and you're, there's no guarantee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit about that no guarantee part and the Sunshine Coast and what happened last winter with the bees? Last last year was biblical on the coast. We probably lost 90 to 95 percent of our bees. Um, we contributed it mostly to mites. Um, we were a bit concerned there was maybe a virus around that got everybody's bees as well, which would have probably been moved around by mites. Um, and so getting into it this year was almost a gamble in a way because we weren't sure maybe that virus was stuck sticking around a little bit. Mm. And so I just went for it and thought, hope for the best. You got to be, you got to hope for the best with it. And uh, uh, BC, usually there's like 20% losses in the winter. Last year was 55 to 60% losses over winter. Just huge, huge numbers. And was that just the honeybees or was that all bees? Just the honeybees, right? Just the honeybees. I believe there are uh, like the, the numbers of bumblebees and native bees are going down, but the number of insects in North America are going down as well. Um, but, but honeybees in general, that's that's the only thing we're really kind of counting uh, in that way. Yeah. 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 What are the native bees? To uh, we, got, we have a lot of different kinds of bumblebees. There's probably... 20 or 25 at least different kinds of bumblebees there's smaller bees there's mason bees uh yeah there's there's a lot we got lots of actual pollinators here in bc and in how do you help the bumblebees those ones are my favorite because they're so cute bees yeah they uh uh the bumblebees just um don't be spraying pesticides around if you can like i try to tell everybody not to not to spray pesticides at all um stay away from maybe weed weed killers as well because they can hurt them can harm them and then just don't rake up your leaves. They kind of hide out under the leaves or in, in underground and stuff like that. Maybe you don't do that early spring while the nests are starting and getting going. And then just and just plant as much pollinating flowers as possible. And you want to stay away from GMO product because the GMO stuff seems to remove pollen and nectar. So mm -hmm. you want to, to the sources, close to the 
heirloom is it heirloom as possible yeah and leaves are so good to keep them for your garden for the biodiversity in your soil like that's like gold leaves like when they break down into the mulch and all that it's it's really good for your soil I've noticed that as well like I, I I've stopped raking up my leaves I've just I just pile kind of push them against the tree or wherever they're close to and it just I think it goes away in a season it's over gone by spring so yeah. I think good for it yeah personally yeah. I never thought about this either. The um, leaf blowers, they yeah. kill a lot of insects and they really hurt insects ears. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just hides underneath that that mulch. Yeah. That I think blowing away or getting rid of or raking up and we need to start helping them, I think. Are there any cover crops? Do you know what cover crops are? Yeah, um, buckwheat. Buckwheat's excellent cover crop. Uh, clover, any sort of clover, because it's also a nitrogen fixer. So you put nitrogen back into the ground as well. Is that going to help the bees? Yeah, clover, the clover will. Um, I was reading somewhere that an acre of clover will give you 200 pounds of honey. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> because the bees come and pollinate the clover. And they take the nectar from the clover. And so like, yeah, one acre or so of clover can give you like 200 pounds of honey. That's amazing. Right? So why don't have it everywhere? Yeah. For everybody listening and they're if they're like what is cover crop cover crop is something that you can replace grass for your lawns with because lawns are essentially useless in my understanding they don't have they don't feed the soil there it's quite interesting looking at the history of lawns and where they came from it was like a, a status a way to show your prestige and how rich you were I think but they're they're essentially useless and so a cover crop is something that is really going to add to the nutrient density of your soil and your the biodiversity of your your yard it's biodiversity i think is the key yeah i watch programs on that and stuff and that seems really important to me just as many different kinds of things in the ground as possible and each one contributes to the soil in a different way mm. yeah. yeah do your chickens because you have you have quails you have quails got quails chickens and turkeys <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> you got all the things. Yeah. And do they help with the grass though, right? They eat the grass, right? They eat the grass. I let them free range a little bit in the yard too, like on like a, a timing basis sort of thing. Cause they can really cause devastation if you let them out too much. Um, yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're putting their manure on the ground and scatter places. They stir things up and they kind of aerate the ground and yeah, they, they kind of chew on the grass a bit and they chew on clover, they chew on everything. Yeah. Okay. I think really, I let them into my garden in the fall and they clean my garden up and get my garden down to zero, get down to just dirt again. And then I start from scratch every spring. Sweet. Uh, just a night I thought came to mind too with cover crops. They're really good to put on your garden beds for everybody listening in the winter time. Um, I like um, uh, winter rye and stuff like that. Oh, the, okay. Um, yeah, and then I, I let it grow up eight or 10 inches and then let my chickens in and then they get a ton of feed. And then it helps with the ground too. Have you noticed um, like a surplus in your vegetables when you plant them in the spring and summer? Because it changed your garden's productivity. You know, I'm my, my ground was pretty, like I've moved to this yard four years ago and my ground was just sand. So I'm just kind of rebuilding the soil in my garden and I thicker and thicker every season. Um, I think I'm just at the point where it's sustainable. 
for myself in my garden bed with the with the chickens and the cover cropping and stuff like that. I think I'm just starting to notice a difference this year. Is the first year I've noticed it. I haven't really put much for like I like putting organic um, feed on it and stuff. And this is the first season I think I haven't used that, and everything is kind of looking okay. Mm, yeah. Okay. So with the beekeepers on the coast, has there been a surplus of younger beekeepers? Is that happening on the coast? I'm I'm pushing for it. I'm trying to ask everybody, where's your bees? Where's your bees? Where's your bees? Um, <laughs> I'm always asking. That's why I kind of started the little thing I started, just trying to get younger people involved in it and get get them to join the club and and just uh, and just learn and just learn. I think it's really important for more people to know. Um, it it really kind of opens your eyes to what you put in your ground or put in the soil or put um, on your garden. You right. Know, like yeah. canary coal mine sort of thing. Yeah. Can you speak to what it is that you're doing on the coast with Let It Be? I got Let It Be Collective. I'm just trying to, I've hooked up with One Straw Society and they support a lot of the farmers on the coast. And I'm trying to just get more people involved in it and try and make it sort of like more affordable by maybe we can do like equipment sharing and things like that to get more people involved in it. So that first base cost doesn't cost as much and maybe teach younger people how to get involved in beekeeping. Cause I think a lot of people just don't even know how to start. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I introduced people to my yard, which you've joined me yeah. um, just to come look through a hive and see if they even like it, see if they even like looking through it. And, uh, and it's opened a lot of people's eyes about how it is possible to get involved and to actually just, you know, you don't need a big yard you can just have a beehive in your yard and, and take care of it and enjoy the, enjoy the honey or not, or just enjoy the bees because the bees have their own, advantages just being around them mm -hmm. can you speak to the advantages that there are to just being around the bees they bring me an immense amount of calm it's just mm -hmm. it's with myself like I've, I've I've grown up with ADHD and that my whole life and I've been dealing with that and that just it I can completely focus on it I can it feels like I can kind of control it in a way and it just it just brings a calm about my mind that I don't get kind of anywhere else I love that. So, have you, so you've noticed a big shift since yeah. working with the bees. Yeah. And I guess the big thing is you probably have to, you have, you do, you have to stay really present. I know when I was holding a frame, I was scared I would drop it more because then I would drop your bees. Yeah. <laughs> and then there'd be all these bees like swarming everywhere, I, which doesn't sound nice. I have dropped a frame. You only do it once. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but that would definitely bring a calmness to your mind, probably right. Being in the present moment so much. Something to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, mind, your mind doesn't want, it's like, it's like the only time my mind isn't going a thousand miles a minute. I'm focused on it. I'm paying attention to it. I know what's going on. It just, uh, it makes me feel good. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So can you speak to what's in a beehive? Like who? We've got like the queen bee drones, worker bees. Can you give a little synopsis of what, what's in the beehive, who does what, and what that looks like? Even like the bruise, you spoke to the bruise earlier. Brood, brood. Brood, brood. Uh, brood your baby bees, kind of like a cocoon, uh, cocoon uh, butterfly would be in. Uh, there's just, there's so much going on. You got drones, you got workers, you got your queen. Everybody seems to think your queen is in charge but your queen is more like just an egg laying worker. 
uh, it's a collective, from what I understand, it's a collective of elder bees that make decisions for the hive. And, uh, and the workers are all female. You get drones and their only job is to go mate, but the, the drones kind of bring like a, a happiness to the hive. Like if you have drones, it's a healthy hive. And when it becomes unhealthy or not sustainable, all the workers kick the drones out, which are male bees. Uh, How come they kick them out? They just because the the drones add nothing to the population. They're not helping. They're not. They're not. They're not producing honey. They're not. They're not collecting anything. They're just. They're flying around looking for virgin queens, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And they come when. So they're not sustainable to keep in the hive. For the colony so when the colony starts like a dearth dearth comes dearth meaning there's no more nectar pollen coming in which you usually get around august here august september when it's really dry um they'll start kicking drones out uh, because they're not usable use, useful anymore to them okay yeah so they keep the drones when there's like the surplus of nectar and honey and the, and, the hive and is thriving thriving yeah that's a better way to put it when it's really thriving then, then they keep the drones and they start producing a lot of drones. You can have 20% of drones in a, in a colony. And then, uh, yeah, and then the workers, the worker just starts, get, like is born and its first kind of job is cleaning cells uh, and then making them spotless. And then it moves up to wax production and then defending the hive. And when it's three to four weeks old, they go out foraging and that's when they're foragers and that's the dangerous job. And then they live for 10 weeks or so, eight to 10 weeks, up to 12 weeks. And, and then they're, and that's it for the life cycle over the summer. And then winter bees are kind of born in September-ish and they can live for four to five months. And winter bees have bigger fat stores so that they can maintain the food longer in, in the hive, which when the hive over winter, obviously is not collecting any more nectar, not making any more honey or any more pollen. So they have whatever stores they have has to sustain them till about March here. As soon as you see the line sort of pop up here, we're we're okay. <laughs> We've made it. We've made it through. <laughs> made it. It can it's be, like a party. Yeah, like and um the I guess the First Nations used to call like March the starvation month, the starvation moon. And like you just gotta get through March. That's the hardest month to get through. And if you can get through that, you've made it like fully all the way. <laughs> wow. So how so the whole hive will have replaced itself. Like it'll be completely different bees. Like the bees that are in the hive right now, they're going to be completely different bees in the fall. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess yeah, like a 10 week cycle or so, but yeah. And then, and then they'll, she starts maybe laying around August or so winter bees because they take 21 days from egg to being hatched. And so so they start making getting those winter bees out in September, October, because she really starts slowing down and laying and laying when the dearth comes. Uh, right now we have a big a flow on because the blackberries here are open, blackberry flowers. We have a flow on, so she's pumping out eggs right now. She might be laying twenty five hundred eggs a day because there's a big nectar flow in. And when that starts slowing down, she starts slowing down on eggs. And you know, come August, maybe September, she might only be laying five or six hundred eggs a day. And then come November, she's not laying eggs at all anymore. And from about November, when it hits about five degrees or so, uh, till again, it comes up to five degrees or so, she's not laying any eggs at all. And you got whatever bees you have in the colony are sustaining you through winter. And those are your very first foragers in the spring coming up. 
and then so they live way longer than the right. yeah oh, winter bees can live four or five months it's weird <laughs> and, that's crazy and, you know, winter bee is kind of the, the way i've kind of i've read into it I, I guess it's up for interpretation but the way i understand it is a winter bee is kind of made when there's less pollen available and so that's what kind of makes a, a winter bee sort of a winter bee okay. and they have more fat storage than regular bees than their summer bee and the winter bees they don't leave the hive all winter um they, they will only leave the hive to go to the washroom oh. um yeah they have what's called cleansing flights and every once in a while in the summertime you've seen it here or in the wintertime you've seen it here where the sun the sun's out really nice it's cold but the sun's out and when the sun's hitting the colonies just on the wooden boxes it'll heat them up enough where the bees will go out and fly and they'll just take one flight and they'll just go fly because they'll hold their they'll hold the, um their poo inside them for four or five six weeks and then wow. they'll go, yeah they'll go for a flight and go to the bathroom and it's just the neighbors don't like that <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> got everywhere. Like uh, we had a snow on the ground once, and then they did their cleansing flight, and every square inch of my yard was there was a little orange dot of going to the bathroom. Oh, that's so interesting. I've never heard that before. Pretty funny. <laughs> Are there any other like random things that you'd never think about with bees? The the amount that they go to the washroom, like they have a flight path. Like they go, they go to the side of my house and right over top of my father-in-law's truck, and mm -hmm. he's got a and there's like a path of poop just over top of his truck everywhere they go. Like they just kind of pick a path and they take it. Um, and which can be concerning for some people that want to set up an apiary somewhere, right? Like say you want to use somebody's yard and they decide to use a flight path. Is it right over their Mercedes Benz? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then, and then they clue into what it is. And then they, they might come talk to you about moving them or because you can like, you can put like an eight foot fence on the one side where they're flying and hopefully they go up and over in a different direction. You can kind of trick them a little bit or change the orientation of the, the hive box. Sometimes they'll take a different route. Not always, but sometimes. So are they like creatures of habit, like habits, like bears, I, I believe, go the same route all the time. Is mm -hmm. that right? And so bees are the same way. They go the same it definitely looks that way. Like watching, like studying them in my yard and stuff, they'll just go up and then like over my house. And they just seem to go that direction. Cause I got tall cedars around my house and they just, they go up and over the trees. And the lowest point is my house. So they just kind of go up and over, over my father-in-law's truck. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so on the coast right now, we've got is it fair to say a pretty early summer happening? Like it's, it's been hot, it's been blooming everywhere. It's been unbelievably beautiful. And so the honey's coming really early. Yeah. It seems to be like three to four weeks early this year. Uh, usually it's end of June, middle of July ish that the blackberries are blooming and they're, they're in full bloom right now. And they only last 10 to 12 days. Yeah. So Not what does the process of harvesting the honey look like? Uh, so harvesting the honey, like, so I'll have, my, I'll have my two boxes, which are brood boxes. And then I like to use queen excluders. Um, it's not everybody's preference to use queen excluders. And that's where a queen goes up into my other box, which is my, where I produce my honey. We call them medium supers. And uh, I take those boxes off and I clean all the bees off of them. And I look for capped honey. Um, and that's where they put a wax coating on top of the nectar, which then it becomes honey because it's down 15% humidity. And I'll take that and 
I scrape the caps off and then I have like a centrifuge, like a honey spinner. And I load them in that and it turns on and it just spins and it mm. flings. And that's how it, it exits all the comb. Just spins really fast. And then I just collect it at the bottom and pour it into buckets. And then I pour that bucket. I filter it one time. I do one filter um, just to get any, you know, uh, bugs out. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Filter it once, clean it up a bit. And then, uh, and then jar it and that's it. I don't do anything else other than that to it. Yeah. You, one of the, I mean, there's many nice things to being on the coast here, but there are a lot of local farmers and you just buy stuff right off their stand just for everybody listening. And so your, your honey is completely different than the honey that you're going to buy in the grocery store. Mine is, yeah, mine is raw. I don't pasteurize it. Um, it'll still have the pollen in it and all that stuff in it. And uh, like I said, I only filter it one time. I don't, I don't heat it up. I, yeah, I don't do anything to it other than take it out of the colony, run it through one screen and put it in a jar and sell it to people. Yeah. Do you know anything about the dangers or not dangers, but kind of of the commercial beekeeping industry and how, what the bee, what the honey actually is that you buy in the grocery stores? Um, there's been a lot of studies that I've, I've seen and um, a lot of the honey um, coming out of like Asia and stuff like that seems to be adulterated, which just is basically they add sugar water to it, but they're finding really interesting ways of doing that where it's hard to test for it. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but like the amount of honey being um, consumed by the population um, is double that in which the bees are producing. So the math isn't adding up. Like a lot of honey is adulterated, right? Like um, Canada is pretty good. Uh, I wish I had the paperwork in front of me right now to read it to you, but like Canada's got pretty good stuff. Like you just want to find as local as possible honey and that's better chances of it not being adulterated. There's yeah, and I think, yeah, I yeah. think that's a good uh, way to live for all foods mm-hmm. right now. I, yeah, just as close as you can find whatever you're looking for to home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is something I just heard. You can probably hear my dog in the background. He likes to come say hi. Most podcast episodes <laughs> um, with bee allergies. So if you're allergic to bees, is this true? Did I just make this up? Something about if you live within a certain radius of beehives, that helps with the allergies. I haven't heard that. Okay. So I made that up. Now, something really strange which is really, really weird, which I've talked about with my mentor, Steve. He's been doing it for 50 years. Um, he was saying a lot of family members of beekeepers become allergic to bees. Because like, like I won't store my bee equipment inside the house. Um, I don't know why. There's, there's no real reason why. But the way we think of it is like if you're around like the beekeeping, like me being a beekeeper and all the all the stuff involved with it like um the, you know the venom and the pheromones and things like that that are around me if you're around that but not getting stung i guess you can form an allergic reaction to it like more often than not beekeepers family members are allergic to bees like it's a weird bizarre thing <laughs> that's really interesting <laughs> it's really weird. It's strange. so it's almost important for my family to get stung <laughs> once in a while just to make sure that they keep their their uh their immune system up from it i guess 
Yeah. Have, yeah. have your girls gotten stung? Uh, my daughter, Talia, um, she'll stick her finger in a beehive and she knows what it feels like. She knows better, but she, she just loves the bees and likes playing with them and grabs them and stuff. She's a lot better this year, but last year was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so she got stung. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. We got stung at least four times, four or five times last season. <laughs> so can you speak to the benefits of being around the air of bees? I know when we were by the hives, you were speaking to Australians, I think it is, have like didgeridoos and they inhale the bee air. Did I make that up? Um, no, there's, um, I, I've seen, I've seen things where like asthmatics are putting like, um, like the masks on the outlet of a beehive and breathing the air out of a beehive because it's like uh it's like purified air and it's helping their oh, lungs okay. um that was kind of cool to see you should look that up it's kind of neat like like beehive therapy i think they're calling it and you just you know for people with copd and things like that they're just breathing the air out of it and it seems to be helping them i'm not sure why <laughs> what's copd uh chronic pulmonary oh no okay yeah. something with the respiratory system yeah the, the little uh, uh bubbles in your lung are popped i think it is right yeah okay the, yeah the bronchioles are, are okay. kind of the lungs and it just makes them hard to breathe it okay. just helps them move and stuff yeah so with like being in the presence of bees like just going to the the families of beekeepers that are in the presence of the bees so the air is a benefit yeah the pheromones what are the benefits of the pheromones uh i'm not sure i'm not sure the benefits of pheromones i just i i like i know being like a, around bees people seem calmer mm -hmm. like maybe you're forced to be <laughs> i'm not sure the reason why but i don't know everybody just seems to maybe the the pheromones with us affects us. Like it just makes you happier or more pleasant or just there's, you can't be in a bad mood or anything around them. It seems like, so it's gotta be some sort of benefit to the, to that, that sort of part of it. Yeah. I wonder if it's the, like the frequency, the humming, the sound that they're giving off. Yeah. It's like C sharp or C flat or something like that. Yeah. 170 or 270 Hertz. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and I've heard it's really great for PTSD and CPTSD. So I I, I did actually quickly look that up before okay. we talk. And it, it seems like uh, beekeeping forces someone with PTSD to concentrate on the bees, which can block out um, traumatic memories of the past. That makes yeah. sense. And then it can also be very empowering to somebody with PTSD because they're around something that they can handle that can be potentially scary mm. and I helped them as well it was kind of neat when I was reading that I was like oh, that's cool yeah yeah that is yeah. really cool because I think I mean people with PTSD and CPTSD for sure but also um a lot of people their mind is constantly thinking about past events or traumatic experiences just like you said or your events they're just thinking too much they're just and thinking they're, too much and they're in this like rabbit hole of i think thoughts. all of us have suffered something in the last three years mm -hmm. and and it's really it, it just helps you focus on what you need to focus on right then and your mind isn't really allowed to wander which is really nice <laughs> because you got to be present 
in the yeah. moment. Yeah. 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 I was, I'm interested in the whole CPTSD and the bees because what I noticed the first time I was at your place, I got very anxious with the sounds all around me. Um, I think just because we've been programmed to fear the buzzing of a bee because it's going to sting you. Yeah. And that's going to suck, you know? And so how that shifts where it gets quite comfortable, you know, to be, to be around it. Like I, I can pick out the, the sound of a, a honey, a honeybee versus a lot of other flying insects around just because I'm used to it now. It's funny because I'm going, oh, there's a honeybee around. And then, how do you know? It's like not a bumblebee. It's like, well, I, I know. <laughs> you know your bees. You know, it's just funny how you just kind of learn to listen to it now. And you can kind of pick out the frequency or just the hum of whatever. I don't know. Just, I just know, I like, I, I can't tell the other species, but I know it's like not a, hum, not a, bum, a honeybee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But we've been trained to, sorry. We've been trained to like, everybody calls everything a bee when we're you being we're actually scared of wasps right right so what we're scared of but everybody's like it's a bee it's a bee and it's a funny how many people still have that fear of wasps but think they're bees they call them bees and everybody's just kind of scared of bees a little bit yeah so friendly you've seen it <laughs> yeah they were super friendly they were very yeah. friendly can you um speak to the smoke and what that does to the bees when you're inspecting the hives? Uh, the smoke just kind of, they can release a, a pheromone smell. Um, like it's a danger, danger smell. And that kind of hides that. If, if you start poking through the hive, you can give them a puff and it, it hides that, that pheromone of danger or something's going on. Um, if I get stung, say if they st do sting me, if I squish one or something happens and they do sting me, um, I can give it a puff in that spot because a lot of times um, if they've sting you in one spot, now they've let the rest of the nose, left rest of the bees know where to go. And so sometimes oh. I'll walk that spot because that pheromone or that smells there. And so I'll give that area a puff of smoke just to kind of make sure they don't keep going there. Say one finds a way inside your suit or something, you can kind of puff the area. So it kind of hides that. There is a lot of people that um, you know, I've read too, that they, um, it kind of mimics like a fire. And all of a sudden they, they will go and quickly collect a bunch of nectar and stuff like that. Like they have to leave immediately and that makes it so they can't like curl and, and sting you. I don't know how much I believe in that one, but I've read it and a lot of people believe in that too. And then in the same sort of sense, uh, it's kind of, they've been smoking them for 2,500 years. So that's what we keep doing. <laughs> yeah. um, I've tried using this year. I've tried using. Um, a sugar water mixture, which has a pheromone in it. Uh, I add a pheromone to it, an artificial pheromone that's created from uh, royal jelly, which kind of calms them down. Um, and that worked actually really, I was really successful with that. So like during fire season, when I'm a little scared, more leery about using smoke and fire, I'll just use a spray bottle of sugar water with a, a, this pheromone in it that calms them down. And I'll, I'll do that probably in the next couple of weeks. And it worked fine because you spray them with sugar water. They can't really fly and they can just clean it off each other and they're getting a benefit from it. I think it's, it's less intrusive to them. It's less which, sorry? Like intrusive to them. Like it's, less, mm. it's easier than the smoke. So I yeah. use both. Yeah. So the pheromone, it's made from the royal jelly. 
That's right. Um, I get it from Caspian Apiaries out in Port Moody. I bought a bunch this year. This was the first year I'm trying it out. Um, I've noticed a huge difference in it. Um, it's a pheromone that um, it kind of makes the queen lay more eggs because it, it's, a, the, it's got the pheromone that everything's good in the colony, like everything's going good. And it makes her lay more eggs. It, it makes the a new queen more accepted in the colony or a virgin queen more accepted. Um, I just I've noticed they're just calmer with it. Um, it's got it's got good bacteria in it for gut health. So keep I'm hopeful I'm hoping to keep their gut health better, which I think is a big problem with bees. Is their gut health? Yeah. So through like the spring, summer, fall, they eat the honey in their hives, and then you give them the sugar water through the winter. I give them sugar water and before it freezes because you can't feed them when it's frozen. Um, I'll give them like when, after I remove the honey, I basically try to replace what I've taken with sugar water. So they have lots of storage, um, on a, like a molecular level, a scientific level, it's carbohydrates are carbohydrates, like honey and, and sugar water is technically the same thing when they break it down. Um, I believe it's, I mean, it's not the same as a flower though, in my mind, but try to leave them with their own nectar. And, and I think just any sort of thing we can sort of add to it to make it a little better for them, I think is beneficial personally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other things that you can add to the sugar water to make it more beneficial? Um, I, I put lemon juice in it. I think it kind of like keeps it clean, makes it can't get moldy or anything like that. Um, that's just what the yeah, Caspian guy recommended to. And then you can add a little bit of pollen to it. Kind of gives it that a little more, just a little more nutrients to it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What's the Royal jelly? Royal jelly is um so a worker bee summer bee lives eight to ten to twelve weeks or so um and she's only given like a drop of royal jelly when she first hatches uh from egg to larvae and then she's fed um nectar and pollen or honey and pollen to grow up um royal jelly um the the baby bees produce it they kind of have a gland that, that produces it when they're really young and they feed that to what they want to become a queen and the queen only eats royal jelly. And when a, when a, the only difference between a worker bee and a queen bee is their fed royal jelly and a queen bee can live four or five years. Mm. That's the only difference is royal jelly, <laughs> which is wild. And wild. so there's a lot of cultures and there are a lot of areas that think that royal jelly is like the holy grail, if you will, of, uh, of, of longevity. <laughs> so the worker bees... Like just if a bee, know. that's right. Yeah, they just know. And then, like, like if you, if it can make something live from ten weeks on a normal life to four or five years, imagine that on the human scale. <laughs> and, right. You know, a lot of people believe it's for longevity. Like, there's few. It's I think it's worth like eighty to a hundred dollars an ounce to buy to buy a little vials of it, and you just you can just take it on the end of a toothpick and stuff. And like eat it. Yeah, eat it. It's consumable. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Where where do you buy this stuff? Is it ethical? I think it is. There's guys that do it out of town that's ethical and you just got to, uh, you can produce queen bees on a mass scale and then remove the larvae and just have royal jelly left behind and, and, and harvest that. Okay. Interesting.
Hello, loves. Just interrupting the show for one quick moment to let you all know about a product that I absolutely love and that I am an affiliate for. As you all know, I have been going through quite the healing journey these past six or so months, and insomnia was part of that. And my go to for insomnia is pearl powder, and it is also amazing. It's been used in Chinese medicine for thousands and thousands of years for our skin and bones. It's full of minerals and it is so nourishing. So, so nourishing. And so my favorite company to purchase my pearl powder, my pearl of the sea is from Wild Holistic. I love their small batch, cozy, comfy business style. And It is absolutely a pleasure to purchase their products. And my go-tos are the earth drops full of vulvic acid and humic acid and pearl of the sea and the healing body, which is turmeric, ginger, and holy basil full of anti-inflammatory goodness. And so there is a link for Wild Holistic in the show notes. And if you use discount code LISA, capital L, capital I, capital S, capital A, all capitals, use discount code LISA, you will receive a 10% discount on checkout. And I am an affiliate of the company because I use their product and I fully stand by it. And so by purchasing through my link, you are supporting the podcast. Part of the proceeds go to me and I am so, 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 so grateful. So yeah, back to the show. So another, I think you and I have talked about it is beekeeping and longevity. So what is it about being a beekeeper that makes you live? It's the longest, isn't it? Beekeepers live the longest. Beekeepers live the longest life. It seems like out of anything, like, you know, you look it up and they're, they live forever. It feels like, um, I, I don't know if it's just attributed to being outside. You're, you're just in a better environment all the time you're not working in inside and stuff and you know some people think it's the bee stings or being around the the frequency i guess there's the the c sharp or the 270 megahertz is like is good for our health or good for our hearts and good for our minds it just yeah it just it's funny it's a funny thing that beekeepers seem to keep on living (laughs) just keep living do you know what it is about the venom that is beneficial to your health the bee venom Uh, there seems to be a lot of pe- people that uh, it helps their arthritis a lot. Um, the way I sort of understand it is if you're, you're, it keeps your immune system working. And so if you have a working active immune system, I think, I think you can keep a lot of viruses and diseases away from your body. Uh, because if you get a bee sting, your, your body attacks that bee sting in immune system and it just makes it stronger. That's kind of the way I, I see it. It just yeah. helps your about a lot and and it's just always keeping active and always is always practicing (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I think you live a healthy lifestyle if you're a beekeeper because you're not really I don't know I don't know why I'm all about phones right now and screens I think because it actually hurts my head if I'm on my phone too much or even for like a lengthy amount of time and you can't do that when you're beekeeping you can't be on your phone you're outside like, and there's so many times, I mean, like tr- wanting to take a video or wanting to take a picture and I just don't even have my phone with me. That's so like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, next time. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> what, 
we're starting to make the propolis um, tincture. And so can you speak to what the bee propolis is? Um, bee, bee propolis they get from like pine trees and, and things that they kind of harvest it from coniferous forests and coniferous trees and things like that, the way I've read it. And um, if, if you had a beehive that was inside of a hollow cavity of a tree, they would cover the whole inside of the beehive with propolis and it's almost like a plastic like when they when it's when it's formed up thick um, a lot of people think that might be the key to helping getting rid of mites and viruses because it's a really heavy duty antiseptic and we never had these problems with mites and viruses when the bees were kind of kept in more of natural environment Mm. people that are like taking their hive boxes you've seen the boxes and they're scratching the heck out of the inside of them because they don't really like the rough texture of it and so they'll cover that in propolis so they like almost encase their entire hive in propolis which is a complete antiseptic imagine your whole house antiseptic and everywhere you touched is cannot get any diseases can't get bacteria can't get anything on it kind of makes sense right yeah so the bees are doing that to their hives or humans are the bees are Bees are. Oh, that's really cool. And you can harvest that propolis. And there's a lot of people that find really good health benefits for it. Um, just and it's just helping people like their overall health. And and you know, maybe maybe bee propolis might be the future beekeeping as more people get involved with it and, and start understanding it. It's just a really yeah. good really good antifungal and and antiparasitic and everything. Yeah. People are talking about parasites a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I won't go down that rabbit hole uh, yeah. in research too much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. Maybe later. <laughs> what have been the like be the three top lessons that you've learned from the bees? Um, patience. Uh, I, I have a huge problem with patience. I just, I want to just kind of get things done. And uh and it's taught me that um, uh, it's just going to get done when it wants to get done <laughs> at its own time. Uh, and nature kind of just does what it wants to do. Um, like, like for instance, this year, uh, the, the honey flows four weeks early. So that's four weeks of buildup I don't get on the beehives. And it's just kind of is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of, that's farming. <laughs> the weather's going to do what it wants to do. Nature's going to do what it wants to do. And that, and uh, and then kind of have plan A, plan B, and then plan C just in case if it decides to rain or decides to be sunny too early in the season or whatever. And you just kind of go, gotta go with the go with the flow. Mm, yeah, it's almost like sounds like surrender. Yeah, surrendering to nature in a way, right? Yeah, you can't force it because it's yeah. just going to be going to do anyway. And and forcing it just. Uh, I think, I think you can cause, I personally think I forced my bees too much last season um, because we never, we had so much rain. We had, we had no, no sunshine really till mid June. It didn't get above 12 to 15 degrees till June. And I was still trying to split my colonies. I was still trying to do this and doing, trying to do things to produce. And I pushed them maybe too hard. It made my, my own personal opinion. So now mm -hmm. I know if I see another season like that again, Maybe I'll, I'll I'll lay back a bit and just let them do their own thing, instead of kind of forcing them to to do better. <laughs> just kind of let them exist and 
mainly my main focus should have been let's get these bees healthy and through winter versus let's try to make money off of them mm. learned was just let them do their thing they know what they're doing yeah yeah nature knows best they we often know. forget that as humans you forget that and it's so tough to to put your i don't know is it ego aside in a way and, and just trying to let them do their thing yeah yeah can you speak to the swarming and what that looks like so swarming swarming is their natural way of reproduction uh what happens is the uh um they'll make what's called swarm cells which are on the bottoms of the frame and um the the queen will leave with half the colony it can be more it can be three quarters sometimes it can be a third but generally half is easier to say um, they'll leave with half the colony and half the resources and she'll just fly away to a tree and they'll make a big ball people have seen it you see it on the news sometimes there's just a ball of bees and there could be twenty thousand bees there and the queen's in the center and they'll swarm they're kind of fun and they're catchy and they're you know they're um everybody loves the idea of catching swarms but you don't want your bees to swarm <laughs> Because you lose half your bees. <laughs> I caught lots of swarms last year, um, and uh, and yeah, and then the, the left behind is half the bees, the younger bees usually, and queen cells, and they'll make their own queen again. And the colony makes their own queen. She goes out, mates, and the new colony starts. While well, the old queen, they go find a new hollow somewhere, or I capture mm -hmm. them, recaptures them, or they find just somewhere to go, and they just start making a new colony right away and that's the natural reproduction of bees is through swarming okay okay yeah. so you kind of don't want them to swarm you don't like yeah you don't want them to swarm it's a funny thing because a lot of people some people like seeing a swarm because they're like oh my whole colony's healthy and stuff like that and i captured my swarm but like i don't want them to swarm because then i lose half my bees and then that's not a production colony this this year right right using half your resources they're you're not going to get any honey from this even. So there's that double-edged sort of thing. You're like, oh, I want to be healthy. I want to be their thing. But in the same light, you don't want to lose your bees. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And would they make it, they would be fine out. Not here. No. Uh, um, bees that aren't managed in this part of BC don't survive. You don't survive more than a season. Uh, I didn't realize honeybees aren't native. Yeah, they're to... not they're not native here, but because we brought them here and they're here now, we sort we have to manage them. Um, and yeah, like we our native pollinators are like mason bees and bumblebees and stuff like that. But we never really had crops then either, right? Now we got crops, and so you need the honeybees to help with those crops. And and honey's just such a good, so such a good product for humans for our consumption that why wouldn't you want bees really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's best for the bees to be kept. They are they, their beekeeper. Yeah, I was I was really lucky last season um, up where you met me at, up on the end of Sutherland Road there. Um, there was a couple abandoned hives and I went and helped help Helen clean that all up. And we found a colony that had been there. We had no idea how long they were there for. And there was just this pile of old hives sitting there and an old swarm had found them. I found it and we don't know how long it'd been there for. It was really devastating when I lost those because in my mind, those were feral bees and there was a potential that those bees may have been mite resistant. Mm. 
you know, that's kind of the goal in the future. I think instead of fighting mites is find bees that are mite resistant. I think I touched, talked to you about that. Yeah. Um, and there was maybe potential that this queen may have been mite resistant because she had been maybe alive for a season or two or that okay. alive for a season two in that mess of abandoned hives that were sitting up there. So that right. was kind of, uh, that was a pretty exciting moment for me finding that. And they were, they were slightly different when you looked at them. They were almost like, like little midget bees. They were like noticeably smaller than regular bees. And okay. talked to a local beekeeper in Gibson's, uh, Kathleen Suds. And she, she seems to think that there is feral bees. I'm in, still here. She seems to think that there is feral bees in, in the cut blocks and they're, they're in the, um, the slash piles, she thinks. Okay. So, um, and when I told her, I'm like, oh, I found this colony and they were like noticeably smaller bees. She was kind of excited in a way, like, like, well, that's kind of cool. Like, that's what I've noticed because she's been way up in the hill. She used to bring all her bees up and get up into the old slash and cut blocks and get all the fireweed. She was the only person doing that. Um, it's high risk, <laughs> but it can be high reward. Going up got, there to get the fireweed is high risk. Yeah, you got fireweed, you got to bring all a bunch of colonies up into the, high up into the bush, like you know, four or five, six kilometers up in the bush, and you put them down, and you got to hope a bear doesn't find them. And the the biggest problem was people shooting them with guns. Right, they'd go target practice and find these beehives and start blowing the beehives away. Right. Oh yeah, not realizing they're full of bees. No, that's right. Just kind of human nature to whatever <laughs> <laughs> right um and and when i told her because she was telling me she's like oh i was up there and and i saw bees on these um this fireweed and she's like it was they were noticeably smaller and then i told her i'm like well i found like a colony last year in an old abandoned hive and they were noticed to be smaller like you look at them you're like why are these smaller and it didn't make any sense and then we kind of had a fun conversation about that but again with what the devastation we had we lost those two and I was mm. kind of like I was really hoping to keep because like that would be true like local genetics which would be really tough to find um it was a really cool looking queen and uh yeah it was disappointing to lose them <laughs> just like everything yeah. else but just having that because the more local genetics you can have the better because you know they, they might be used to the rain they might be able to fly in the rain better and as as our group of beekeepers here keep moving forward we kind of create our own local genetics kind of by accident by trading queens and selling queens to each other. And, and just with the local drones mating and because they'll she'll mate with 15 to 18 drones um, and they could be anywhere, right? They're the drones will fly 10 miles to find a virgin queen. And so they could be anywhere. They could be, you know, drones out in the bush anywhere. So it's kind of cool. You get all the genetics together and eventually you just kind of create your own local species if you will in its way mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cool that's yeah. cool and where are honeybees native where do they come from uh there's like south america south america's okay. got honeybees native um europe europe's got native honeybees like a lot of like ukraine area and, and all that there's a lot of native bees there australia new zealand I believe they're all native bees there too just mm -hmm. at north america, just never had bees and it was on like they, they brought bees over on the first ships that came here because they knew the benefit of honey for us, right? So okay. Uh, they brought them here. That sounds like a mess. <laughs> it does sound like a bit of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
a month and a half or two months at sea or whatever they did. I don't know how they did it, but uh, somehow they brought bees here in the first ships that came. With some hives on the boat for a couple months. Yeah, that'd be crazy. I understand how they did it, but they pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. And wasps, because we just didn't have honeybees, but we had other bees that were our pollinators and wasps pollinate as well. I know some do. I'm not sure if like you get those like ger the like German wasps or whatever. They're mean. Those are the really mean tiny little ones. You walk past their nest and they get you. Um, I think the umbrella wasps are actually pollinators. Plus, they get rid of like mosquitoes and stuff. Like, there's there's I think we, there's four or five different species of wasps here that are fine. That are not actually causing any problems. And then you get the two or three that are causing major problems, and we just think they're all pricks because of it. <laughs> right, because wasps kill bees. Is that right? Right, there's there's a group of wasps and bald face hornets. You've seen those big hornets. Yeah, the bald face hornets are going after bees too. But they're bigger, so like I can close the entrance up and the wasp uh, and the bald face hornet can't get inside, but the wasps can still get inside. But a healthy quality can can be fine with wasps. They can they can fight them off. Okay. Is it the worker bees that fight them off? Right. Worker bees fight them off, take five or six of them to beat up a wasp, but they get the job done. Okay. How long do drones live and can they live outside of a hive or no? Outside of a hive, but drones are welcomed in any colony, which is kind of cool. Um, like that's, that's one of the things that we think is kind of moving mites around a lot is because a, a drone can go to any colony and they're accepted in any colony at any time, any reason. So my drones can fly all the way to like Seashelt because they'll go 10 miles, eight to 10 miles, up to 15 miles. I've been told drones can go and they'll just visit all the colonies along the way and and then just, oh, here, here I am for the night. <laughs> so they can pass viruses around and things like that. But it's kind of interesting that they're just widely accepted in any colony drones. Until, and worker bees aren't. Uh, this time of year, they actually are. Um, I was reading some stuff and, and um, we, we call it drift when they go from colony to colony, like especially me, you see my backyard, I got four or five colonies there. They'll, they'll go to the wrong colony sometimes and they're kind of accepted. But when dearth comes, when there's no nectar or no pollen, they, they really don't like each other. They, it's, like, it's like battle royale sometimes between two colonies. You'll see like a whole bunch of dead bees up front, like one's trying to rob the other one, trying to mm. get what the storage is. And it's, yeah, during dearth time, unacceptable to visit other colonies. But every other time of year, like especially like spring and early summer, they seem fine with visiting each other and no problem. Everybody thinks Interesting. it's like, yeah, everybody kind of thinks that they just don't like each other, but they actually do. They're, they visit each other. They're very social creatures. Look what they live in, right? They're very social and they're always visiting other ones. But yeah, that's kind of how, you know, things are passed around, mites and viruses. Mm -hmm. I guess, and when it's dearth time, it's like you got to hunker down and keep your own resources. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it can get pretty brutal. Like you can get if you have a really big colony um, next to a very small colony, and the big colony figures out there's there's food in there and there's not much protection. They'll wipe out. They'll wipe out the complete colony and kill the queen in 24 hours, and they'll empty it. Like I'm talking, no pollen, no nectar, no nothing. It's just just shards of wax everywhere, completely. Wow. A thousand dead bees outside the thing, and it can happen inside 24 to 48 hours, and they'll completely drain it and empty it. It's crazy. It sounds <laughs> vicious. When you, see, when you see it happening, and there's like, there's almost nothing you can do. Like, um, like there's tricks that you can do. Uh, you know, you close the entrance up, or you make like a maze 
um, they're called robbing screens. Uh, you can put like a long tube on it. So the um, like the bees that are in there know they have to crawl out the tube. But the other ones think they have to start at the beginning. Um, you can turn the hive around. I, I, you can throw a sheet over it and just completely close it off, a wet sheet so that nothing can come in. But it's relentless once it starts. It's, you just want to try and stop it from starting, which mm. you're going to feed the bees. You don't want to be spilling food anywhere because like one little robbing event can just start a whole massive uh, chain reaction that can't be stopped. It's one of the most impressive things I've seen <laughs> where it's like uh, my mentor there, he says, uh, he says, bees would be perfect if they didn't rob. <laughs> rob one another. Yeah. <laughs> they just go get each other's. That's awesome. It's, wild. it's just so it's just a, like a Royal Rumble. You'll just even like and, and you, you, you actually feel it in the air. The atmosphere changes. Like it's, it's like it's like. Yeah, thick with stress almost when you see it happening. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that comes to mind that's neat and interesting of the bees that you want to add to the conversation before we close? Other than everything. <laughs> <laughs> the, the moment I opened up live for my first time, I was like, this is for me. This is mine. I want to do this. This is what I want to do. Yeah. 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 Every bee keeper that I talk to they're like they love it they yeah like there's a passion there it's, it's the most interesting thing I've done and I've done a lot of interesting things <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it just keeps me in tune and I just I loved every bit of it I love every part of it and I just you know every frame speaks to me and uh I, I don't know they talk I don't know it's funny weird thing it's like you've learned the bee language yeah just by watching them and i just watch them and i, I just it brings me peace it brings me a lot of good peace mm, yeah do you know if the number of beekeepers has gone up since covid the percentage of beekeepers it i know like canada wide it went up a lot um i don't know if on the sunshine coast it went up a lot um we had a lot of people re a lot of like the older beekeepers retire in the last three or four years I think our actual like colony numbers would be down, mm. but they're keepers only keeping one or two colonies. Um, but I know like, you know, Steve lost a hundred, Kathleen's kind of dropped down a whole bunch. And um, there's a couple of people that are completely retired from it and they got a lot of old equipment sitting around. So that's yeah, really hard to say. I'm not sure about on the coast, but I know I'm pretty sure Canada wide, North America wide, there's been way more beekeepers since COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people. It's it's never it's kind of never been cooler to do it, right? Like very popular right now to to be a beekeeper. Yeah, and it's food sovereignty, so you know where your food's right. coming. You're not. And, I think post COVID, everybody wants to not be stuck in systems. Mm -hmm. Any way to get out of the system. And I I think this was a beekeeping was a really good way for me to just to start that. Um, it helped me. And then it just kind of helped me. I think I think I said it before. Just just helped me like what I put on this earth, and it just helped mm -hmm. me with kind of study that more because they're so affected by pesticides and and everything else around us. I don't know. You talked about five G a little bit or whatever. I don't know if that it is, but things have been weird, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Things have been weird. Yeah, we talked about five G. Yeah. in person and, but i mean there are theories that 
5G might be contributing to. I haven't studied that anymore or looked into that anymore. And maybe that's me like ignorance is bliss. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want anymore because there's just nothing we can really do about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're like, you're going on a path and you're like starting to read about it. And you're like, you know what? I don't think I need to wa- read this one because it's just, I don't, <laughs> don't like where it's going. <laughs> you got to choose your rabbit holes. Right. Or choose your battles. <laughs> choose your conspiracy theories yeah <laughs> yeah and and yeah recognize what you can do and there's a lot of that you have to let go of I guess and not focus on yeah yeah, yeah I, I try to tell like uh, every everybody's house I go to or if they got acreage or whatever I'm like well where's your beehives I'm always like where's your beehives where's your beehives and they kind of giggle at me and and my my theory is like if I can convince everybody to do try to do it, um, if, if even even if they fail, I think they've learned they can learn a lot from the process of it and how they and again what what they're putting in their garden and what they're planting around their house. Like, you know, stay away from GMO stuff because it's not producing nectar and not producing pollen usually. Like look at all those beautiful flowers you see it, all these these nurseries. How many of those are actually producing any pollen? right mm. in a way when a bee visits a flower it's killing that flower because it's it's extracted the pollen and it's extracted the nectar now the flower doesn't need to be there anymore but we want these pretty flowers everywhere to stay <laughs> right because they look nice and so you don't want the bees to visit them or else they're not doing their job once they've done their job they don't need to exist anymore and so they go right. away right? so in a way the bees are killing flowers but they're using it to for everything else i know it's weird <laughs> right that's a little bit of a yeah because they need to pollinate like almonds i have no idea how almonds grow but they do have to pollinate something for almonds right for everything everything yeah yeah you know our plums or apples everything needs to be pollinated in some way and they're just moving the pollen around but once a flower has done its job it no longer needs to be a flower right right then it can so- be the fruit Right, and then it turned into fruit. But so many of these plants and everything we have, they're they're just the flower is the, what we're looking after, and they want to see the flowers, and but they're not actually producing anything, nothing good in them, other right. than it, they look pretty in your front yard, right? Yeah, got you. Like, like poppies work, clovers work. There's just so many things out there, but you just got to get like down to the source, down to the to the base model of it, if you will, the heirloom part of it. Where, where it's just hasn't been GMO'd as much as possible to, to lose that. With collecting your own seeds, this is something that I'm starting to do. So say I bought my tomato plants from the nursery. I don't know if they've been sprayed. I don't think they have at the Half Moon Bay Nursery, but I honestly don't know. But when I collect the seeds from the tomatoes, are they still not they- good? I don't, I don't know. It depends if like, I, I don't know enough about that stuff to even really. Yeah. I'm going to research that. Just plant them and see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just, they just plant them and see what happens. See if they grow tomatoes or not. Could be a whole new species you come up with. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Could be crazy. Could be yeah. crazy. What's your, what's the most magical thing about living on the coast for you? Uh, it's just it's just a cool place everybody seems uh the more i met a lot of cool people here uh your ferry right away just the whole coastline how you drive home it's just nice water on one side mountains on the other um there's lots of wildlife here 
I think everybody, maybe not everybody, but I think a lot more people are trying to just do better in the way that they're gardening more. They're trying to be a little more sustainable. We're kind of out of reach because of the fairies. For mm-hmm. a lot of, and, uh, and I think people maybe understand that it's important to maybe be a little more sustainable here. Yeah. yeah. It's just, a, it's a cool place to live. Nice place to be stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The zombie a cop apocalypse is coming. Uh, it's yeah, a good place to be. It is. <laughs> the fairy keeps a lot of the riffraff away, maybe. I don't know. It's <laughs> true. That's true. Where can everybody find you for, yeah, where can everybody find you? Uh, on Instagram, uh, let it be Community Collective. That's, we're on there. I think we're on Facebook too. Let it be on Facebook. And then uh, I got a farm stand at the end of my road on, on, Cooper, on Cooper Road in Half Moon Bay. Uh, should have honey out there in a month or so, I think. Um, and then just come talk to me. <laughs> I'm pretty, uh, pretty approachable. So. Yeah. Yeah. Does anything come to mind on how people can support beekeepers, I guess, by their honey? Yeah. Just support your local beekeeper. I, uh, I'm a big advocate for that. It doesn't have to be me. <laughs> just, uh, find the person closest to you and, and just start supporting them. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tough hobby it can be expensive sometimes and uh it's just you know it's, it's a good product everybody's trying their best yeah give them the best product they can produce because it's just so uh because the bees do it we do all the work and they do all the hard work and uh we want to show it off mm-hmm. yeah i think that's one of my most favorite parts about this coast is that you can support so many you, there's so much local stuff like there's so much abundance here when it comes to fruits and vegetables and honey and eggs. It's doing better than it ever has. Like mm. every day, it's getting bigger and bigger. The community of uh, like, have you have you looked into the One Straw Society a little bit? Do you know yeah, them? I did a workshop with them, a canning workshop. Pretty awesome. Yeah, and they're trying to get the whole farming community together on the coast. I think they do really good work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lot of support for each other here so that's awesome you sort of picked me up in a way um they they were talking about me kind of uh heading up their sort of beekeeping part because they don't really have a beekeeping part yet um it's really like in its infancy stages <laughs> i'm still trying to figure things out because it like my little community uh thing kind of it took off quicker than i was prepared for it to take off <laughs> and so like i um, yeah, sometimes they need a little bit of help with that stuff, but yeah, yeah. Kids classes. That would be really cool. If you taught kids classes, classes and, um, I want to get involved more in schools and stuff like that and show them around. Hopefully the parents are okay with that. Um, and, uh, and just kind of get the, get it out there that, you know, we need help. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amazing. We're all in this together, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you can help your garden out and Help bees out and help i mean i'd get for i'd get for all pollinators not just honeybees right we need to there's there's a huge number of uh like like i think the biomass of insects in north america has dropped like 30 percent or something like that in the last like 10 years which is wild to think yeah. uh, on a scale right and so i think if anybody's supporting any insects i think it's a good thing yeah yeah, yeah. Very true. Very, very true. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. It was fun. And I love having local people on the show. Yeah, good. It's pretty sweet. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, betcha.
Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.